Uh, before we begin, I just have to say, with, as it was announced with so many people ill and not able to be here, uh, it really is it is really amazing and really a blessing that Doris Caldwell is able to be here with us today. Uh, thank God for that. For as long as it's been that she has been down and in the hospital and all of those things, Uh, To see her here today is a great encouragement, and we are so thankful to God uh, that that is possible, and it is uh, certainly a great blessing for us to be able to see that. We concluded the series on marriage and the marriage rules, and I wanted to go through those things because... In our culture right now, there is really quite a bit of confusion about marriage and what God said about those things. And I thought, while we're talking about things that culture is confused on, this is another area that really does demand our attention. Particularly what has happened, I think, in this last year has really been a a major uh, fast-forwarding of confusion regarding men and women. There is a great confusion over gender and what that means and what that's supposed to look like. And what I believe we have seen is the concept consequence of this confusion is not the free and happy harmony of a gender-free person relationship on the basis of abstract competencies as the world has promised. The world has basically said if we were all just basically gender neutral, we'd all just get along and everything would be fine. But rather, the consequences have been more divorce, more sin, more sexual abuse, more promiscuity, more homosexuality, more social awkwardness, more emotional distress, and more suicide that comes with the loss of God-given identity. And that confusion has really struck hard for an entire generation now. So many young men and young women do not know who they are. They've never been taught what it means to be a man or a woman. And because families are in such a mess or in such dysfunction or so non-existent, they do not have a role model to know what a man or a woman looks like and what they're supposed to do. And so young men and women today lack a roadmap for their lives. And this confusion has reached so strongly into our generation and into our culture that these are some of the messages that we are seeing explicitly stated and certainly implicitly in television shows and in movies and books and things like that. Like for one thing, that there's no essential difference between men and women and that if you want to change your gender, that's fine, it's it's okay, and it's even applauded in some circles to do such a thing. That you are to be attracted to whomever comes most naturally to you. And for some that would be that boys would like boys and that girls would like girls and that there is no responsibility or calling or meaning whatsoever in terms of being a man or being a woman. This is just basically what the message is right now is that it is all just very neutral. 
And what I want to do is for, take a few minutes to help you get a sense of really the confusion that is happening in our world. And I had wanted to do this series back in the summer, and I'm kind of glad I waited because even in the last few months, so much more has even happened, even in the last few weeks, that it's, it's, it's just staggering to see this fast-moving current that has been struck against the standard definitions of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Uh, As I go through these, I'm going to caution you. There's going to be a temptation to want to laugh out loud and make visible responses to indicate how ridiculous some of these things are. And I will bid you to try your best not to do that. Because I want us to recognize this is a very real problem. These are people who are confused by identity and confused by gender roles. And that we have to have an awareness of where they are coming from and what they are saying and what they are doing if we are going to have any uh, ability to help them at all. And so I I recognize that there are going to be many things that we're going to go, well, that just seems ridiculous. And the reason it seems ridiculous is because we've come from a a God-based understanding of these things, but so many in the world haven't. And what seems unusual and ridiculous to us seems quite right and quite normal to them and we don't want to then unintentionally uh, cause a roadblock by our response to these things. But just to give you a sense of what is going on, particularly in this, this last year or so, like even if you were to make an account on Facebook and you put on there your gender, there are three options. Option one is male, option two is female, and option three is custom. And when you click on custom, it just gives you a box. And you're able to type in and fill in whatever you like to describe your gender identity. And that gives you just even a little bit of sense of of where we're going. Uh, You might have heard of the new pronoun uh, Z. We have he, she, and Z. And by definition, Z refers to someone who does not fit in the gender binary. Now, as we do this series, we're going to talk about that's not possible. That's why it's a binary. Uh, It's a gender binary of you're either one or the other. But we now have pronouns that reflect option three. He, she, and Z is another possibility. Uh, Back in June, we saw Bruce Jenner. He received an award for courage for physically turning his body into a woman. A whole award show, great big to-do, applaud, television show, uh, magazine covers, Greatly applauded that he chose to do this. In August, uh, Target said that they were now going to change their stores, matching other stores. So I'm not isolating Target. Uh, Other stores have done this where they will no longer have labels in the aisles calling things girls' toys and boys' toys. They're just toys. And there's not going to be any separation of those things whatsoever. And so if they're dolls, G.I. Joe or Barbie, they're all together in the doll aisle. So that their parents could make their own choice of what would be appropriate for their child is what Target came out and said. In September, I was all excited about the new Muppet show that came out. I grew up on the Muppet show and was started to watch a couple episodes. The second episode was the last episode I watched where the prawn, he's the kind of funny prawn, talked about how he thought, I think it was Josh Groban, thought was really good looking because, hey, gender is fluid. The Muppets. 
And I said, well, that's the end of that show. This week, you saw it on the news yesterday, had to add the PowerPoint this morning. This week, California will now pay for inmates to have gender changes because it is cruel and unusual punishment to not grant it to them if they have a gender identity change and they're incarcerated for a very long time. The state of California will now pay for that to happen. That was on the news yesterday. And what I'm wanting you to see is this has all happened really fast. This is happening really, really fast. Uh, This was a picture a friend of mine took at an airport. This is now what we are more likely going to see in more restrooms around. You'll understand the first two. We have the standard picture of a woman. The second one, the standard picture for a man, for a a male uh, restroom. And we know the last one is for a baby. And then the third one is a half triangle representing, I guess... I don't know. I don't even know what you say that is. I guess Z uh, is what that's trying to represent. So any gender identity is able to use this bathroom. The bottom of it says anyone can use this bathroom regardless of gender identity or expression is what that says. So here's where we are in our world, and I could go on and on and on, but I thought the example of Holyoke uh, College was perhaps the most stark, obvious problem that we see of where our society is in these things. Holyoke College historically has been an all-woman college, and the reason why for its creation and existence was back in the day when the Ivy League schools were men-only schools. Holyoke and some other Ivy League schools for women then were created. Holyoke College continues to be an all-women college, but they have made some major changes to their admissions policy that I think give us an insight as to what is going on in their thinking and what's going on in our world. It says Mount Holyoke College welcomes applications for our undergraduate program from any qualified student who is female or identifies as a woman. As as a pioneer in higher education, Mount Holyoke remains committed to its historic mission of providing access to excellence for academically talented women regardless of socioeconomic background. The college values each student's development, both academically and personally, and recognizes that self-identity may change over time. Mount Holyoke remains committed to its historic mission as a woman's college, yet concepts of what it means to be a woman are not static. Traditional binaries around who counts as a man or a woman are being challenged by those whose gender identity does not conform to their biology. Those bringing forth these challenges recognize that such categorization is not independent of political and social ideologies. Just as early feminists argued that the reduction of women to their biological functions was a foundation for women's oppression, we must acknowledge that gender identity is not reducible to the body. Instead, we must look at identity in terms of the external context in which the individual is situated. 
So basically the definition is you are not a man or a woman by biology, but rather we need to look at the external context by which you are operating, and that will determine how we should proceed with you. This, of course, leads to a lot of questions. This is all on their website. You can go to their website and read it. I just copied and pasted and then added little highlights along the way is all I did. Uh, They went on to say Mount Holyoke's college uh, policy on admission of transgender students states that it welcomes applications for its undergraduate program from any qualified student who is a female or identifies as a woman. And so then they have this on the website, which is an ask. So can you clarify who is female or identifies as woman? So, okay, clarify who can who can do this. And so this says the following. Following academically qualified students can apply for admission consideration. Biologically born female identifies as woman. Biologically born female identifies as man. Biologically born female identifies as other they z. See, z is in use. We might have used that pronoun, but it is in use. Biologically born female does not identify as either woman or man. Biologically born male identifies as woman. Biologically born male identifies as other they z when other they identity includes woman. Biologically born with both male and female anatomy identifies as woman. All of these people are now allowed to apply to the all-women's college of Holyoke College admissions is allowed. The following academically qualified students cannot apply for admission consideration. Biologically born male identifies as male. Those are the only ones that cannot. So, Then the next question arises, which they answer on their website as well. Well, what should we do if a person changes while they're there? And they change their mind as to how they identify themselves. So they deal with this. Number five on their on their uh, website, it says, If a trans woman decides during her four years as a Mount Holyoke student to change her mind and choose a male gender identity, will she need to withdraw from the college? What about biologically female students who come to identify themselves as male? So what are you going to do if a female now identifies themselves as a male? Man or a, a, a man who you've accepted as identifying as female now changes his mind and now says, no, he's actually a man. What are you going to do? Do they have to leave the college? And the answer is no. Once students are admitted, the college supports them regardless of their sex or gender identity, which is, identi- which is consistent with our current practice. That probably sums up pretty well where we're at in terms of gender identity. A lot has happened this year. A lot of massive rethinking about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman has occurred, especially this last year. Uh, back in the summer with so much happening, I wanted to do the series and I'm glad by providence it worked out that I didn't because in the last few months so much more Uh, has even happened. And so I bring all of this up, not that we will mock this, but to recognize 
there is confusion that is happening today. It is quite prevalent, the confusion that exists on gender and gender roles. And so the goal of this series is going to be to try to bring clarity to the confusion and to spend our time talking about what do the scriptures say about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, because that seems to be lost. And this this confusion and lack of identity stems from the fact is that we are not looking for identity in the scriptures or our identity from our creator. And so I think that's what we should observe in all of that we've read from the Facebook thing all the way to the Holyoke College is what you are seeing is that people cannot find their identity. They don't know who they are. And they are realizing that just simply forming an identity of I am a man or I am a woman and therefore I live life falls woefully short. Uh, There is a confusion and wanting to know, well, there's got to be something more to who I am than just simply body parts. And we would say, yeah, there is something more to who you are. But the way you're trying to determine your identity is going about the wrong way altogether. And so what we're going to have are are two goals. Uh, The most obvious is, of course, to teach what the scriptures say about men and women. But if that's all we do, I think that will be a failure. It's not enough for us to go here, as we're going to do this morning, just go, he created the male and female, close the Bible and say, that's the end of the story. We're all done. He made male and female. He didn't make Z. He didn't make anything else. And so that's all you need to do, right? We're done. We need to do far more than that. It's not about just simply telling the world, listen, here's what God did. But we need to approach this in a way so that people will see that the vision and plan that God has for men and women and what it means to be a woman in the vision and mind of God and what it means to be a man in the vision and mind of God is deeply satisfying and far superior than any other way of trying to identify yourself. That's the goal is to get people to see what God has done and what God has defined as your identity and who you are. That should be the thing that is most satisfying if you will accept what he says. And that's what we're going to do then is spend a lot of our time trying to do that. But let's spend just a few minutes and just observing What is interesting, and I think what does become humorous in a sense about all of these things in watching this massive shift that has happened in our culture is that there is a refusal to ignore the evidence. And the evidence, of course, we can quickly point to the scriptures and go, it is quite silly to try to figure out what your identity is and not consult the creator who made you. Right. I mean, if we're going to talk about who you are, perhaps the place to go to understand who you are is the one who made you. We're not interested in that, but we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But the other evidence that is really being ignored that I think is quite fascinating about this shift that has happened recently is that it flies in the face of all research and all science that has occurred up to this point. This thing about uh, gender reassignment and things like that, that has been studied for a very long time. Maybe even when, when, when you were young, you might remember it. When I was young, I remember I remember taking a psychology class in, in high school and they talked about, you know, is it is it uh, nature or nurture? 
I remember the the ends. Nature or nurture? Is it how you're born or is it how you're raised? Could you take a little boy and raise it to be a girl from the very beginning? Would it now behave as, as a girl now and no longer as a boy and vice versa? And they've done all kinds of studies. You can even go online and see parents that have even done this to their kids to try to eradicate the gender concept. In 1992, Time Magazine cover, and you may not be able to read all the little details in there, so I just put it up here, where the headline just says, Why are men and women different? It isn't just upbringing. New studies show that they were born that way. (laughs) I'll laugh at that. Hey, we spent a lot of money on that one. New studies have shown you were born that way. I thought we understood that. I thought that's what made marriage hard is because men and women are different. And it's not by just mere body parts. We think differently. We react differently. We're different in every way. That's why there's a whole book called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus because we're different. And so there's all these studies done. And in 1992, the gavel came down and said, we have finally figured it out. We have done all of these studies and we have concluded that it's not that it is nurture. It is not environment. It's not how you try to raise them. It is then how you are born. It is nature. It's interesting to read some of those studies. You can go online and see them, that you can raise a boy to try to not be a boy and then when given the choice between two toys of a Barbie doll and, and, a, and a truck, they go for the truck. Uh, you, you're born that way. It, it, it's, it's, it's not how you raise them. That's just the way they're wired. We can talk about more of that as we go on. But the other thing that they miss, and I found this completely fascinating. Paul McHugh, he is the chief psychiatrist at John Hopkins Hospital. Uh, if you're the chief of anything there, you're pretty smart, right? He's not a Christian, okay? He has no moral compass that we would use him and say, oh, see, well, he's a Christian, and so he's discredited in any way. And I, w- I don't have the time to read for you all that he said. You can, when this posts online, you can read, I put it all in my notes, all that he said. You can go online and read this massive thing that he said, but I'm just going to give you some of the highlights of what he said. In talking about transgenderism, he said that the, what they concluded in all of their studies, and they were doing gender reassignment surgeries, they said that it turns out that they have studied that this is a mental disorder that merits treatment, that sex change is biologically impossible and the people who promote sexual reassignment surgery are collaborating with and promoting a mental disorder. That's just basically the sum of what he said. Let me just give you some of the clips of the things that they found in their studies. They found that 70 to 80% of children who had a general uncertainty about their gender when they were younger spontaneously lost those feelings later on. The reason why that is really important is Doctors today, now with children who are uncertain one way or another, are suppressing their natural hormones so that there could be a future gender reassignment surgery down the road, believing that this is going to be that what their solution is. In fact, what they found was that the suicide rate goes up, I think it's 20 times for those who go through gender reassignment surgery. 
And it's because of these kinds of pieces of information, they stopped doing gender reassignment surgery altogether at John Hopkins. They said John Hopkins is not going to be a part of this any longer because it doesn't give the solution. It actually is increasing the problem. He went on to say policymakers and the media are doing no favors either to the public or the transgendered by treating their confusions as a right in need of defending rather than a mental disorder that deserves understanding, treatment and prevention. That is well said. These people need help. We need to help them. They need to understand their identity in God. And we need to be there to support them in that, not just encourage them to do something that's not going to help them as they found. He went on to also say, claiming that this is a civil rights matter and encouraging surgical intervention is in reality to collaborate with and promote mental disorder. So he has a very, very long article on why Johns Hopkins is no longer doing this surgery basically just went on to say sex change is biologically impossible. People who undergo sex reassignment surgery do not change from men to women or vice versa. Rather, they become feminized men or masculine women. And so that's basically by after doing all this, they said that's why we have to stop. We're not going to do it anymore. It was interesting in watching the news yesterday and... um, They were talking about California now allowing for gender reassignment to the inmates who are incarcerated. The argument against that, because they had the two people, one for it, one against it, and the argument against it, they quoted Johns Hopkins University and said, at Johns Hopkins Hospital, and said, listen, That research says suicides go up, that they don't feel any better about themselves. It's not a success and you shouldn't do that. And the other person's response is, well, we don't know anything about Johns Hopkins stuff, so, you know, whatever. So, like, that's why the title is Ignoring the Evidence. It's just, we're just going to do this. That's just the way it is. We're going to ignore all the scientific evidence that stands against this. More importantly... You still have your Bibles there in Genesis 1 from where we started from the reading. Genesis 1, verse 27. The evidence that matters most is what God says about this. And while even our science and our studies and our psychology all recognize that gender is binary and that it cannot be changed and it does not suit the person it is actually a mental disorder this is really exactly what God said from the very beginning this is the place that we must turn if we are going to look for the answers this is what our creator taught us so God made or created man in his own image in the image of God He created him male and female. He created them. And I would just observe for you that when it says that God created man, that is a generic word there that he created humans. That's what it's saying is all humans, all people were created in the image of God. And then that's defined even more in verse 27, male and female. He created them. That's what this is simply saying is God made males. God made females. There was not a third option. And I think that's really important to understand to say God made you. And there is a significance to that. There is a reality to that. There should be even some hopefulness to that. Is that God made you. 
you have the Spirit of God, this life of God, this soul that God has given to you. And that is an amazing thing. And the Scriptures even will show as we will study in this series that the differences between male and female go well beyond just simply reproductive organs. That's not the point of what Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are all about, that that they were made to complement one another, to work together. And that is the picture that God has given in regards to this. You think about what this means, though. When we read that statement in verse 27, That God created them in His image. In the image of God, He created them. How God is emphasizing in these verses that they are made in the image of God. Humans are made in the image of God. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make humans, let us make mankind in our image. What does that mean? That we are made in the image of God. Now, you probably know that's probably the deep end of theological pools that people have written about of well, exactly what does that mean. But I submit to you there are some obvious things that we can gather from that without having to dive deeply into all the theology about the image and the nature of God. Number one, you see it in the text itself. After all creation is made, verse 25 talks about all the animals are created. And then verse 26 begins that... Humans are different. That humans would be made in the image of God. And just to put out there the very simple point, that men and women are different than animals. They are completely different. And they have a different value than before God because they are made in the image of God. We understand that intrinsically, even though we seem to be trying to erase that as much as we can in our society. Uh, If I were to tell you that I am having all kinds of financial troubles, I'm not, illustration sake. Okay, so don't, don't send any money. Illustrations say, I'm having all kinds of financial troubles and I'm trying to figure out where I should cut the money. Where, where can I save money? Where can I cut back on expenses? Should I get rid of the fish, the dog, or the wife? Why is that money? Right? She's the most expensive thing I've got. I can save a whole lot of money. And, and, I mean, Right? I'd have less conflict with the dog, right? And there wouldn't be homeless problems, right? Why is it that we don't say, well, of course you get rid of the kids, they're so expensive? Because they're made in the image of God. They're different. You get rid of the fish, it's a fish. But you don't get rid of humans. Humans are made in the image of God. We understand that intrinsically. That's why we chuckle at even the question. It's not even a possibility. We don't sit there and calculate finances and go, well, I guess the son's got to go today. We just can't make it. It might be the daughter next year. I mean, we don't go there. We're going to figure out something else because humans are made in the image of God and they have a great value then far higher than animals, far higher than any created thing. We're losing that in our society and in our culture. We're losing that. The animals and humans are all being put on the same playing field. 
And the problem with that is when it comes to things like this, where you're now going to treat humans like animals. That's already started with like euthanasia and things like that. We're just going to treat them like an animal. We're just going to put them down because, hey, you know, they have nothing else to contribute to society, right? Ridiculous. Humans are made in the image of God. And as you see throughout the scriptures, there is high value to that. There's a reason why even in the Old Testament, God spoke of if you took a life of another human, your life was demanded. That wasn't the case for animals. In God's economy, that is very different. Humans are made in the image of God and they are not equal to them in the slightest. Number two, if we're made in the image of God, that means we have an identity. This is a great process, a great thought, a great concept to just kind of go through here. You know what that means? It means that we are defined by the fact that God made us. And that saves us from the confusion that exists in our world today. You're not defined by your desires or sexuality. That's what our world is all about. It makes me so sad to see that people's complete identity is to say, I am a homosexual. That's your identity? You're so much more than that. Don't, don't degenerate your identity into what your behavior is. You're made in the image of God. You are valuable before God and you are defined by God and you have an identity in God. And it's not just simply what your sexuality is or something like that. Or I'm smart or I'm dumb, I'm poor, I'm really rich. We define ourselves by these externals and that's not who we are. And yet our world tries to define humans on the basis of social, economic, sexual standards and identities. And no wonder there's all kinds of confusion. That's not going to work before God. But number three then, if we're created in the image of God, then that means we have a purpose. We have a glorious purpose before God. I understand that there's a lot of things that it can mean for us to be made in the image of God. But I would like for you to just take a step back and take a very simplistic point of view with me on this for a moment. Many of you have been to Washington, D.C. and seen the Lincoln Memorial. The image of Abraham Lincoln there is enormous, isn't it? I mean, it is a towering, amazing image of him sitting there inside this cathedral-like rotunda, beautiful memorial as he, he sits there. What's the point of that image? Why is that image there? It's not to go, wow, that was really big. <laughs> That's really huge. It's a lot of steps up to that thing or anything like that. It's there to draw your attention to whom the image represents, isn't it? It is to draw your attention to the life and work of Abraham Lincoln. It's not about the statue. It's about who the statue represents and draws your attention to that. When God says that you and I are made in the image of God, that means we have a purpose. 
that we are to be reflecting God to the world. And we have a hard time with that because we want life to be all about us. But here is God saying, I've made you in my image and I've spread you all out over my kingdom so that people will see the glory of God. In fact, in the ancient Near Eastern times, you would have throughout a king's kingdom, he would put images of himself in the far corners of his kingdom to represent, this is my area, this is my land, it belongs to the king. And here we are in God's kingdom, on God's earth, and we are made in the image of God, telling the world it all belongs to God. We're made in His image. Our purpose is to be reflecting the image and glory of God. That's why we're here. We want to be about ourselves. I want to be the point. I know you want to be the point. We want it to all be about us. And and that's why we have so many conflicts and so many problems and we fall into all kinds of sins is, is we want to be the point. I want to be the point at home. I want to be the point at work. I want to be the point in my marriage. I want to be the point everywhere that I'm at. It's all about me. I always love that commercial way on back. You're showing all these people who are driving down a a turnpike and there's all these car lines and then there was this one line that said for Bob and you see Bob going zooming around (laughs) that's what we want, it's all about me everybody else can wait in line but when I get to the red light it should just turn green because I'm here it's about me it's not about me it's not about you it's about God God is the point in our marriages. God is the point in our homes. God is the point in our work. God is the point here. It's not about me because we are made in the image of God. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the creator who made us to be this way and that we would draw attention to God. And friends, until we understand this, we will continue to suffer identity confusion. We will. Because as soon as you take away that the reason that you are here is for the purposes of God, to be in the image of God, and to show God to the world, if you subtract that, then why are you here? You're wasting space, you're wasting land, you're wasting oxygen, you're wasting resources. Why are you here? Get out of my way. There will be identity confusion and there will be violence and there will be death and there will be war and there will be hate because we don't see that we were made in the image of God. And by definition, then we are different who have a purpose and identity that is God given. The confusion will continue. The mess will continue on. And unfortunately, we'll have generations of people who don't know who they are. And don't know why they're here. And by going through the things that they're going through, they're trying to find identity. And so they go through expensive surgeries to try to find out who they are to come up with an identity. And science said, you're not going to find it there. And God said, you're not going to find it there. God said, I made you. And so let me conclude then with just simply saying that this is the point that the scriptures draw for us, that we are here to show God to the world around us.
And that this is really what the Apostle Paul is talking about. In so many letters, what he talks about is the need for life transformation. That we are changing ourselves. That we are no longer going to behave like the world and behave in selfish ways and sinful ways. But notice when he writes it to the Colossians, there's a basis for that. Colossians 3 verse 8, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have been, have put off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self. So stop there. Why? Why do I have to stop being angry, wrathful, malicious, slanderous, obscene talk, stop lying, put off the old self and all of its practices and put on the new self? Why? Because you're being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Because you're supposed to be in the image of God. That's why. Because you and I are here to reflect God. We're supposed to show people God. That's your identity. That's your purpose. That's why you were made. And that's why you are here. And as soon as you erase that, you now become lost in this vast universe of, well, who am I? And what should I do? And who should I be? And so this will be the basis of our series. This will be the basis of our study. We're going to have a few more lessons on this. And we're going to talk about, so what does God say it means to be a man and a woman? What does it mean for us to live as image bearers of God, that we were made in His image so that we can cut through the confusion of who we are and why we've been been put here on this earth? We are not then here to transform ourselves into what we think we should be. But we are here to be transformed into what God has called us to be. You pull your psalm books out, we'll sing invitation song. I invite you to come to Jesus this morning. I invite you to see that He then is the supreme God, creator to whom we submit our lives to. He is our purpose. He is our identity. He is our everything. And so will we submit to that? Will we submit to His purposes and submit to His will? We encourage you to do this morning, to turn away from your sins, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And I encourage you to see by following Jesus and following His definition of identity, His definitions of purpose, His definitions of what it means to be a man and a woman, there is a deep, satisfying joy that God offers with that. He didn't leave us here to be aimless and empty, but built us to be image bearers of God. Will you come to Him this morning while we stand and while we sing?